From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this edition. It's a team that will keep our country and our people safe and secure. And it's a team that reflects the fact that America is back. As Joe Biden begins to assemble his would-be cabinet, opposition is building among Republicans in the U.S. Senate who will need to confirm most of Biden's selection. Will this opposition cause Joe Biden to moderate his picks? We'll talk to Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton. Also get him to weigh in on President Trump saying he would veto the annual defense funding bill if it does not include a provision dealing with the legal immunity that big tech companies like Facebook and Twitter have enjoyed. And in September, you may have remembered that President Trump sent the media and others on the left into a more than normal intense tizzy when he issued an executive order banning the use of race-based ideologies like critical race theory in the federal workforce. On Monday, the nation's Southern Baptist seminaries released a joint statement weighing in on critical race theory. Now, what is critical race theory and how does it line up with Scripture and why does it matter? Well, we'll talk with Owen Strand, Associate Professor of Christian Theology at Midwestern Theological Seminary later here on Washington Watch. And the violence is intensifying in Nigeria as Boko Haram, an Islamic terrorist organization, struck again over the weekend, reportedly killing uh, over 100 people. What will it take to bring stability to Africa's most populous country? And why does this matter? Well, we're going to talk about, about this with Congressman Chris Smith of New Jersey. He's the ranking member on the Subcommittee on Africa, Global Health, Global Human Rights, and International Organizations. And he is a senior member on the House Foreign Affairs Committee. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you miss anything on your way home, it's uh, all archived right there, TonyPerkins.com. And let me remind you, uh, well, I'm not going to remind you. I'm going to tell you because I haven't told you yet, so I can't remind you. Tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Pray, Vote, Stand. We'll have another gathering of uh, a prayer time. Uh, former Congressman Michelle Bachman uh, will be with me along uh, with... Um, uh, a number of others that will be joining us uh, for a time of prayer at 8 p.m. I'll have more details about that a little bit later. Uh, so join us. Now, I, I want to give you, again, the results of yesterday's poll question. Okay, I, I gave you the results at the end of the program, but we have some delayed um, airing of our program overnight. And so a lot of people weighed in. In fact, a whole lot of people weighed in on this. And this is the, the question was, do you believe that across the country the voting process was legal and the votes were accurately counted in this year's election? Or do you believe that they were there were significant problems with the way the election was conducted or votes were counted? Well, let me put it this way. Zero percent said the process was legally carried out and votes were accurately counted. No one believes it. That was the case. Less than 1% said there may have been some instances of abuse, but they did not change any outcomes. 4% said there were numerous instances of abuse, but they did not change any outcomes. 96%, 96% said there were numerous incidences of abuse, and they changed some outcomes. Thanks for participating in the poll question. All right, you might recall this back in September. The president created a stir. When did he not create a stir with the left? But he said that uh, he was banning, by executive order, the use of certain race-based ideologies or theories in workforce training. 
One in particular that has been the subject of a lot of attention is critical race theory. Well, earlier this week, uh, there are six Southern Baptist seminaries, all six of them, released a joint statement uh, stating, um, making a statement on critical race theory. Here to uh, to talk about what that statement said and why it's important, and, and really what is critical race theory, uh, Owen Strand, professor uh, at the Midwestern Theological Seminary for Christian Theology. Uh, Dr. Strand, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you so much, Tony. Great to be with you. All right, let me just start with the most elementary part of our question is, what is critical race theory? Critical race theory is basically the system that argues that the entire social order is made up of racial power dynamics. And so we have people who are oppressing other people by virtue of the social construct of race. So America, these are some of the critical ideas of critical race theory. America is uh, structured along the lines of systemic injustice. So in our laws, policy, culture, and society, there's systemic injustice. This is because uh, whiteness as a construct has been privileged throughout our history. It was in the days of slavery and Jim Crow in the past couple centuries. It still is today, although it's sometimes hard to spot. And this means that white people in general partake of and benefit from what's called white supremacy. So white supremacy, a lot of us heard as a term that would apply to neo-Nazis in the last 20, 30 years. Critical race theorists argue that white supremacy is not something that skinheads alone hold. It's something that every white person propagates simply because of their skin color. And this means, as I said, that there are racial power dynamics that put minorities and especially black people in this country at a disadvantage. Those are some of the major arguments of critical race theory. Basically, it slices up our country into two categories, oppressor, people who partake of white supremacy, and oppressed, those who are the victims of white supremacy. Now, Dr. Strand, there's no refuting the fact that there has been racism in America. We have a, a history of, uh, of I mean, we, have, we, we were a country that embraced slavery for a time. And we see elements of that throughout the history of our country, elements of racism. And there are still pockets of, uh, of that today. So there's, not, there's no denying that. And those who question the critical race theory and its, its foundation and its application are not saying there's not racism or there's never been racism. They're just saying this is not the remedy. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Racism is, of course, a part of the American past, a tragic part. Uh, We recognize that the system of slavery was a wicked system, an unbiblical system, that biblical slavery is fundamentally distinct from what Americans practiced. We recognize as well that Jim Crow laws, for example, are heinous and wicked as well. So we see throughout our checkered past real evidences of racism and ethnocentrism. It's not necessarily the case, though, it is not the case, that critical race theory offers the right diagnosis or the right prescription for that heritage. In fact, critical race theory weaponizes our past and says, basically, because the past was structured along the lines of white supremacy in America, it still is. 
the problem, in fact, Ibram Kendi, one of the key voices on this side, the problem has actually gotten worse. Kendi and others will argue today America is more racist than it used to be, uh, not less, because formerly our laws were were racist. Now our very attitudes and and biases beneath the surface are racist. So critical race theory is a very significant system indeed. Well, that, that's kind of a spinoff when you have the intersectionality, where it takes it, even if you mm-hmm. change the laws, you still have racism. The systemic racism that is seen in critical race theory is, is the construct. But now they're saying, even though you've changed the laws, that's not good enough. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it, we're hard-pressed to explain how do we have a system that is absolutely beyond redemption when four years ago or in the last administration, we had an African-American elected as president of the United States. Yes, Tony, you're exactly right. It's flatly the case that we have made massive advances in defeating racism and ethnocentrism at the structural, societal, state, and other levels in this country. We have made massive racial progress. You don't have to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ to know that. You can know that in a basic, common grace way today. That's part of of the poison of this system. When you argue for a concept like systemic injustice, Tony, you recognize that it's one of the fuzziest buzzwords you've ever heard. It sounds right, and in fact, it may describe America. I think it does at different points in its past, different parts of America, that is. But when you and I say, ah, oh, we're, we're, we're shot through with systemic injustice today, we have to recognize how big a claim that is. That means that everything is systemically unjust, and when everything is systemically unjust, nothing is. It's better, I think, to affirm what you did, to, to say, okay, we still have to fight against racism and ethnocentrism always. Uh, the price of our progress is eternal vigilance, and yet we have made major strides along these lines. Your average person in America, including the so-called white person, is not a white supremacist. This system is, is not uniting us. Tragically, it's dividing us. So how is, this is accelerating. I mean, this is popping up. It's, it was, you know, on our college campuses. Now it's in the federal workforce. Um, it, but it's popping up in pulpits across America. It is. Um, sadly, I think because a lot of Christians look at uh, Christian heritage in this country and they see the kind of sins and weaknesses and failings that you and I have already clearly identified, they believe that they need to do anything they possibly can to counter that heritage and overcome it in the current day. And and so they are, in many cases, I think, tricked or led into thinking that claiming that they're a white supremacist, that America is systemically unjust, is going to solve that. They think that that's going to be the bridge to the diversity that the church needs. But um, though some who embrace critical race theory, intersectionality, uh, and other systems may have, they may start with commendable motives. Again, we need to very much caution against adopting this system, this ideology, this thinking. It's not ultimately going to breed what a good number of pastors today think it is. It's going to breed the opposite. So that brings me down to the final question, and we may not have time to, to get into this, and we're going to have to revisit the issue, but uh, Dr. Strand, where does this critical race theory line up with Scripture, which is the acid should be the acid test for believers? Critical race theory 
in my view, does not line up with Scripture. It's not that it's not that it's there's nothing that a critical race theorist would say that we would not also say, but ultimately, critical race theory looks at the same issues we look at it at we look at, and it makes the wrong conclusions from it. So what we need to say is that instead of embracing CRT, what we would do better to do is embrace the biblical gospel and recognize Ephesians 2, that there's one new man in Christ Jesus, and that is the only true solution to racial disunity, uh, prejudice, bias, and any structural inequities we see. People who recognize that there's one new man in Christ Jesus are going to fight against racism and ethnocentrism every chance they get. So we might hear theorists sound good when they talk in the tone of CRT, but I would very much counsel pastors and Christians to not embrace this system. It's ultimately a system of division, not a system of unity. All right, uh, Dr. Strand, I, I want to ask you just to, to, to hold on for a moment because I just got word that uh, votes were called and we, uh, we, we may end up, uh, Senator uh, Cotton may be a little bit late. I, I've got another question if, if we have the time. So if you, if you don't mind, hold sure. on for just a moment. Uh, folks, uh, I think this is an important topic. It, it really is because it has made its way into some pulpits in, in America. And it's like anything else. There's always a, a sliver of truth that we can all say, yeah, you know, that I, I agree, that's right. But it's where it ultimately leads. What does it point to? Does it point to the cross of Christ and elevate the Lord Jesus Christ, or does it elevate man? This is an ideology that is about elevating the philosophies of man. All right, don't go away. we still got a lot of Washington Watch still to come here on this uh, Tuesday. After Wednesday afternoon. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I, I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org Bible and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. In a recent poll... It was revealed that only 6% of Americans hold a biblical worldview. This research also indicated that Christianity's teachings on abortion, marriage, and homosexuality are not only misunderstood, but seen as dangerous and subversive. In response to this trend, Family Research Council has released a new set of resources in our Biblical Worldview series. In addition to our full publications, which cover the topics of Christian political engagement, abortion, religious liberty, and human sexuality, FRC now offers helpful summaries of each publication in this series, as well as accompanying prayer guides to help you and your family pray through these important issues. And finally, our popular biblical principles for political engagement is now available in Spanish. All these resources are free and available at frc.org worldview. Again, that's frc.org worldview. 
Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, and let me say a Wednesday edition of Washington Watch. I'm a, it's been a busy day. Uh, I was up at the White House earlier working on some policy issues and rushing back here, and uh, we're trying to get ready for radio. But I do want to mention tonight we will have a uh, another uh, Pray Vote Stand edition, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll be joined, by, as I mentioned, former Congressman Michelle Bachman will be with us, Bishop Garland Hunt out of uh, Atlanta, and then uh, Pennsylvania State Representative Stephanie Borowitz will be uh, joining us as well to pray for our nation and where we stand at present. All right, we're going to be joined uh, in a little bit by Senator Tom Cotton. We'll be talking about opposition building to Joe Biden's selections for his cabinet and why that matters. Uh, but I want to continue my conversation here while we have Owen Strand uh, on the line. He is a um, professor of uh, Christian theology at Midwestern Theological Seminary. And earlier this week, I mentioned all six of the seminaries for the Southern Baptists signed a statement basically saying that critical race theory uh, and other theories like that are incompatible with the Baptist um, faith and message. And uh, so joining us uh, now, uh, Dr. Strand, uh, l- let me let me f- finish our conversation with this, and I-, I could probably spend a couple hours talking about this because it's popping up everywhere. Our final, as we going out of the last segment, was it- it's not that we don't agree with some of these elements, but it's where it points to. It's in the- where it points is incompatible with Scripture. So how then, Dr. Strand, should should Christians be responding to this issue? Yeah, I mean, you and I would say that, for example, the homosexual lobby is going to say that love is very important, right, as a principle. They're just going to claim that in general. And we're going to say absolutely love is is important. But we're not necessarily, we're not going to follow those who would define love according to the homosexual lobby. In a similar form, there are real problems of racism and ethnocentrism in our country's past, and there are still problems today, even. There's, there's a yeah. lot to work on in our society. But we don't want to go to critical race theory and intersectionality uh, for, for the answers, for the solutions to the problems that ail us. We want to go to the Scripture, and we want to go to good common-sense thinking in terms of policy and law in order to advance uh, our society further. 
and as this statement by the seminary uh, president uh, to to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to point to the scripture as the source, as you mentioned earlier, we, we know man has fallen, but it is by changing the heart of man through the redemption of Jesus Christ and the sanctification that comes through the word and the Holy Spirit, we bring about the change in society that we all would agree would be good. Let, let me ask you this, though. Why did the the seminary presidents believe it, they had to speak out on this issue? Has it become such a problem that uh, they had to collectively address it? Yeah, critical race theory has become a major issue in the American Academy in general. It's really the, the dominant paradigm now in a lot of schools. Uh, wokeness as a posture, uh, becoming awake to the nature of structural injustice and systemic racism. Uh, is, is really the dominant mindset in many corners of the American Academy. And it's even seeped into Christian schools, Christian universities, Christian colleges and seminaries. In fact, parents, fathers and mothers listening to this should inquire when they're visiting a Christian school, a college or university, when they're on campus, they should ask professors and leaders, is critical race theory, intersectionality and wokeness taught here? Do professors hold to these tenets? And they should seek honest answers and get all the info they should. This has crept into seminaries and churches today in the Southern Baptist Convention. In 2019, at, at the formal meeting, convention meeting of the SBC in June 2019, a resolution, Resolution 9, was adopted that spoke of critical race theory as an, quote, analytical tool that can be used to understand our world. And so that caused a major storm in the SBC. Suffice it to say, Tony, that I am very glad to see the sixth president uh, basically saying critical race theory, intersectionality, and wokeness are absolutely incompatible with the Baptist faith and message, and I think we can assume the Bible beyond that, the Christian worldview. I think they are absolutely right, and I pray that this statement is used to stop the advance of CRT in the SBC and, and even push it back uh, in our time. You said parents should be on the alert for this, and I agree 100%, both in, I mean, this is everywhere. It's in public schools, it's in private schools, as you said, it's on college campuses, Christian campuses. Is it often camouflaged as something else than just the critical race theory with the banners waving so that it's it's sometimes harder to detect? Most of the time, it will not be announced. Most of the time, when Marxism advanced as an imperial ideology in the 20th century, People did not put out banners saying, here are the 29 tenets of Karl Marx's capital, okay? In the same way, uh, most of the time when critical race theory is on the march, it's advancing under the banner of unity, uh, justice, diversity, oneness, these sorts of fuzzy ideas that sound good and in many ways biblically defined are wonderful. We need biblical justice. But we need to recognize that social justice is a very different thing than biblical justice. Social justice as a term means effectively the demolishing and remaking of society along Marxist lines so that the oppressed class effectively overthrows the oppressors, in this this case because of racial injustice supposedly. And so we need to hear in these buzzwords and these terms that are often thrown around, uh, we need to hear that there may be a lot more going on. Uh, behind the scenes, behind the engine of these ideas than we might initially think. I I know we don't have time to answer this question, but it just struck me, why would 
ministers of the gospel surrender the ultimate truth and hope for mankind found within the pages of Scripture to an ideological construct of man in addressing these issues? Has the church become so removed from the Word of God that we're, 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 we're grasping for answers? Yeah, I think we're always in danger of being taken captive to late by worldly ideology, and that's happening today. I did a YouTube series called Christianity and Wokeness that I hope can help some of your listeners. Uh, I'm really thankful for you calling attention to this. We must not be taken captive by critical race theory and any worldly ideology. Well, we'll put a we'll put a link up on that uh, on the website. Uh, Dr. Strand, thanks so much for uh, for joining us today. Uh, I think we're going to return to this in the days ahead. So look forward to talking to you more. Uh, folks, don't go away. We're going to come back with some more Washington Watch. I'm not sure what and who, uh, but you'll have me. So don't go away. More Washington Watch to come. Since the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, Congress and many states have taken various actions to stop taxpayer dollars from funding abortions or the abortion industry. As early as 1976, Congressman Henry Hyde led the effort to ban federal funding for abortions. The federal Hyde Amendment, named after him, established the principle that abortion is not health care and therefore taxpayers should not be forced to fund abortions. Despite these efforts, the abortion industry still receives millions of dollars each year in taxpayer money. In 2019, Planned Parenthood, America's largest abortion provider, received $616.8 million in government funds. Family Research Council's newly updated pro-life map tracks how your state has taken action to stop taxpayer funding of abortions. Go to frc.org slash pro-life maps to see where your state stands in the fight for life. That's frc.org slash prolifemaps. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, I definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Parlor, it's at T. Perkins. And again, uh, remind you, 8 p.m. Eastern time tonight, Pray Vote Stand. Be joined by uh, a number of uh, folks, including a former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman, uh, Pennsylvania Representative uh, Stephanie Borowitz. So join us 8 p.m. Eastern time to pray for our nation. 
All right, Joe Biden is assembling his team, which is turning some heads. For instance, uh, Neera Tandon, president of the Center for American Progress, a very far-left organization, uh, has been tapped, reportedly, to be the director of the Office of Management and Budget. Now, what's significant about that? Well, she spent uh, a lot of time attacking GOP lawmakers on social media. In fact, she's gone back to try to clean up her social media trail. Can she be confirmed by the United States Senate? Um, how's that going to work out for Joe Biden? Is this going to cause him to moderate some of his picks? Well, join me now to talk more about this is Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton. Senator, thanks so much for joining us. I know you had some votes. So I, I appreciate you uh, making your way uh, to join us today. Hey, Tony, thank you for being flexible. Yes, we just passed an important bill to help ALS sufferers across the country. But I heard the lead in, and the answer to your question is no, period. Near Tandon will not be confirmed to anything in the United States Senate. Is this going to, I mean, this message, is this, a, is this kind of a decoy? He's picking somebody out so he can kind of move people who are a little more to her, well, not as radical as she is? Is this uh, kind of to draw the fire while he pushes others through? Or what, what do you anticipate? You know, Tony, I've heard that theory floated, but, you know, I, I tend to think that in politics, as in sports, as in life, it's better to win than to lose, and that uh, new presidents-elect do not want to intentionally lose on any of their nominations. I, I think it just goes to show how um, committed Joe Biden is to what he promised, which is to be the most progressive administration in American history and near attendance. Man, um, you should see some of the things she's proposed in the past. I mean, she thinks that Congress should not pass a coronavirus relief bill unless it gives handouts to illegal aliens. That's that's a hill to fight and die on when it comes to getting aid to the American people. There's no telling what she would do if she was in charge of the budget at the Office of Management budget. She'd probably say that amnestying 15 million people would actually be good for federal finances. Um, again, I think it just reflects that, that Joe Biden promised to have the most progressive administration in American history. You know, that's where all the energy is in his party. And he's trying to make good on that promise. And it's because it's not just near attendant. It's also people like Janet Yellen for uh, tre- Treasury Secretary. And you look at it, his uh, national security team he announced last week. They're full of people who have gotten China wrong from the very beginning, who are willing to sell out Israel to try to get a bad nuclear deal with Iran. Uh, he's surrounding himself with people who are simply going to reinforce all of his worst liberal instincts. So how's that going to go over in um, hopefully a Republican-controlled Senate? We've got two seats. Obviously, you've been down to Georgia. We've got two seats in Georgia that will be decided on January the 5th. But I would think that the Republicans, after um, you know they've experienced what they have in the last four years, that they're, they may be drawing some lines in the sand. Yeah, I, th- I think Naritana's nomination go over like a lead balloon. Or look at uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, Department of Homeland Security, an open borders advocate who also uh, was found responsible by Barack Obama's own inspector general for selling citizenship uh, to foreign nationals on behalf of big Democratic donors. But it is so vital that we win those two Georgia Senate seats to make sure that we do control the agenda in the United States Senate. It will be much harder to confirm any of these radical liberals uh, to Joe Biden's cabinet if we're in charge of the Senate. But if Chuck Schumer's in charge, even in a 50-50 Senate, unfortunately, I think you should expect a lot of them to be confirmed. That's why it's so important that we, all of our voters in Georgia, recognize the stakes of this election, get out and vote, absentee voting right now, early voting starts in a couple of weeks, election day, January 5th. You know, I was thinking about these picks. You know, the name Bernie Sanders has been floated for the uh, Secretary of Labor. 
Uh, and I was thinking and that's going to be really fascinating to watch because I, I remember when Russ Vogt came before him for the OMB and how he grilled him over an article that he wrote in uh, his publica- at a publication, his alma mater at Wheaton uh, University. Uh, w- would Bernie Sanders be confirmed for uh, Secretary of Labor? <laughs> Bernie Sanders might be confirmed 99 to nothing, Tony, if it meant getting out of the Senate. Uh, I was afraid no, of that. I, uh, I don't think so, uh, Tony. Uh, in no small part because, look, we have a Republican governor in Vermont. Um, and even if they win both Georgia races, which I do not for a minute believe they will, um, that uh, that would tip the balance of power over to the Republicans. But should we win the Georgia races, 52-48, they still don't want to give up a Senate seat to make it 53-47. So for that reason alone, I expect there will be no senators appointed so, to Joe Biden's cabinet. So that's, that's kind of like checkmate. Uh, you know, they're not going to move because they know it's uh, it could be uh, that yeah. they'll lose that uh, that and leverage. I, and I've, I've got to say, I mean, you know, you can say the same thing about Elizabeth Warren with Charlie Baker as governor up in Massachusetts. Um, I, I'm sure that Joe Biden is really heartbroken that he doesn't get the opportunity to have Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren working alongside him in the cabinet every single day. I mean, there's probably plenty of other, other liberals who's happy to have in those positions. He's got an excuse, I'm sure, uh, with this. Uh, Senator, I know we're we're, uh, we're out of time. I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, we're going to be watching the, uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about it, but the NDAA, the, the Annual Defense Authorization Bill, uh, that's in play. Some questions regarding that. We'll have to watch that and maybe talk about that later in the week. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Tommy. Senator Tom Cotton of uh, Arkansas. All right, when we come back, we're going to turn our attention uh, to Nigeria. Over the weekend, Boko Haram, an Islamic terrorist organization, killed uh, reportedly over 100 people. Uh, what's it going to take to bring this situation under control? Uh, Nigeria, the most populous uh, African country. Um, a very, very troubling situation. Chris Smith, congressman from New Jersey, joins us next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of God's Word? Family Research Council has a three part series titled Three Ways to Read the Bible. This series shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth by observing the text of the Bible and applying it to your life. There is no better time than now to get to know God through his word by looking into the Bible to see what it says about itself, God, and humanity. There's no better time than now to begin devoting time to the Lord and to seek out his meaning for you. This blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to him through the Bible amid the toils and troubles of today. Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but with your heart and mind as well. To learn more, visit frcblog.com slash ways to read. That's frcblog.com slash ways to read. When President Donald Trump announced his nomination of Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court, critics were quick to point not to this qualified nominee's record, but rather to her religious affiliations as a reason she ought not be allowed to serve as a Supreme Court justice. In an increasingly secular culture, it is not only the media that views faith as problematic for those appointed to judicial positions. 
Senators, particularly Democrats, have inappropriately interrogated nominees with comments and lines of questioning spanning theology, congregation membership, and associations with faith-based nonprofits, all seemingly with the intent to discredit the nominees. Family Research Council recently released a publication addressing this important issue. To learn more about what the Constitution says about religious tests, visit frc.org slash religious tests. That's frc.org slash religious tests. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash human sexuality. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. And by the way, it's December, so uh, Merry Christmas. I can say Merry Christmas. And pretty soon we're going to be coming back, I, I assume, with our Christmas music as we come in and out. So stay tuned for that. Some of my Christmas favorites. Uh, let me thank everybody who participated in uh, Giving Tuesday yesterday. A, a really good response. Thank you for standing with us. Um, we've got a lot of work ahead of us, and we need to be uh, strong and continuing to not only put this message out there so that you know what's happening in our nation's capital from a biblical perspective, uh, but so that we can expand this. We're now on almost 800 stations across the nation, 48 states, and everybody needs to have access to this. Let me encourage you, if um, you have friends that are in areas that do not get Washington Watch, get them to download the Stand Firm app. Get it at the App Store, the Stand Firm app. And uh, that way, they can listen as well. Again, let me remind you, 8 p.m., we'll be having our Pray, Vote, Stand uh, prayer time, 30-minute prayer time. We'll have folks from across the country be joining us. I invite you to join with us. Former Congressman Michelle Bachman will be with us, Bishop Garland Hunt from Atlanta, Georgia, key place right now. Uh, and then uh, State Representative Stephanie Borowitz of Pennsylvania. Uh, she's been leading the effort up there on a number of matters, and so she's going to be joining us. Her husband is a pastor. She's going to be joining us to uh, to pray tonight. That's 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and you can join us by going to prayvotestand.org. All right, as I mentioned, the Islamic terrorist group Boko Haram uh, continuing to terrorize uh, primarily Christians in Nigeria. This weekend, over 100, 100 people were killed uh, by them. Uh, the government there seeming to uh, to be indifferent uh, toward what has all the signs of genocide. Uh, what can be done? I mean, there's an important, and we're going to talk about this, uh, the importance of this, why we should care. First off, it's believers, it's people being murdered 
over 30,000 in the last decade. Uh, but this has the potential to destabilize the entire African continent, which could draw America into a much bigger problem. Joining me now to talk more about this is uh, Congressman Chris Smith of New Jersey. He represents the 4th District. Uh, he is the ranking member on the Subcommittee on Africa, Global Health, Global Human Rights International Organization. He's also a senior member on the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Congressman Chris Smith, welcome back to the program. Tony, thanks for inviting me on. I appreciate it very much. Well, I want to I want to I want to start with Nigeria, but uh, I want to move to China because I want I know you're, these are two issues that you've been on top of. And as I was reading some of these articles, I, I was in in a pending Biden administration, uh, remembering back during the Obama administration how hard you and others had to fight just to get Boko Haram listed as a terrorist organization. Uh, Tony, it took three years. Um, I had the hearings on it. I was chairman of the committee of the Africa Global Human Rights uh, hearing, uh, Subcommittee. And uh, we would have uh, um, Obama's top person, Johnny Carson was his name, the Secretary for Africa Affairs, testify. And he said things like the only reason or the only thing that, that Boko Haram was all about was trying to embarrass then Jonathan Goodluck, who was the Goodluck Jonathan, I should say, who was the president. Uh, and, I, and I differed vigorously and said, one, it's a, you know, they're waging a jihad. Uh, they are, this is all about trying to uh, promote at the barrel of a gun through an AK-47 and, and rape and all kinds of horrible things. Uh, they were trying to get people to change their faith. Um, and the, oh no no this is this is different, um, and it took me three years. I'm the one who introduced the bill to declare uh, Boko Haram as a foreign terrorist organization, an FTO. And on the day I was marking out my bill, the very day uh, it was announced by the State Department uh, that they were going to designate Boko Haram a foreign terrorist organization. So we lost three years at least that we could have been tracking. Uh, trying to stop the flow of money uh, for the procurement of munitions and bombs and the rest uh, because they had totally misread uh, the religious persecution aspects of Boko Haram. Uh, they're a horrible organization. Now add the Fulani, uh, which you know so much about, I know as well, uh, and the killing spree that they have unleashed, uh, 300,000 people displaced, and frankly, they have killed six times more people, uh, have been died, them by Boko Haram, uh, and the, the information coming out, uh, including Bishop Kuka, uh, is this is genocide. It's happening right now, a genocide. And the significance of this, I mean, obviously, as I mentioned, yeah. you know, any human being suffering like this, I mean, this is targeting primarily of Christians. There is this, it's, the country is almost evenly divided between Muslim and Christian, and there is this intense attack, the Fulani uh, herdsmen uh, kind of going after what there, – there's some that say this is a occupational issue because you have the herdsmen who want access to land to graze their animals, and that's bringing them in conflict with the farmers who are predominantly Christian in their villages. And so people are writing this off as not being driven by religion but by scarcity of resources. What do you say to that? Well, I think that's just like Johnny Carson totally misreading uh, the Boko Haram situation. It is a profound misreading of what the Fulani is all about. They have radicalized so many young, mostly men, uh, to kill, to rape, 
they kill women uh, as they do men. Uh, they are, you know, just they leave some survivors, according to multiple reports, uh, after their killing spree. So the word will spread uh, just how how um, horrific their carnage is that they unleash. And then you get people like our own ambassador, Mary Beth Leonard, who said that religion was an accelerant to the conflict rather than the core reason for the conflict. This is not about uh, whether or not we want that land or this land to, uh, to, for our animals to graze. They come in uh, sometimes with motorcycles. They, do, they raid at night, causing unbelievable fear, uh, and they do it quickly, uh, and they kill, and they kill, and they kill. Uh, that's why, you know, even the Jubilee campaign has asked that they, uh, the 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 uh, special prosecutor for the UN look at the Fulani uh, genocide to determine that it is that, because it has all the hallmarks uh, of a genocide, and it's being misread by far too many people in government and outside of it as well. In, you know, even even the. Uh, uh, the House of Representatives, and I've been to Nigeria many times, uh, they called uh, their House of Representatives that the killings in the Plateau State, they called that a genocide themselves. Uh, Buhari, who's the president, and I have met with him, uh, he is a Fulani. He has unfortunately stacked his military chain of command uh, from the very top with Fulani. Uh, there used to be a, a real mix of Muslims and some Christians, uh, which meant you had, you know, some checks and balances. That's all gone under Bahari. And now, you know, he looks the other way almost exclusively when the Fulani commit these acts of genocide. And, and So why should, why should Americans care? Well, a number of reasons. It's a, it's a great question. One, we are our brothers and sisters keeper. Uh, when people are being slaughtered, killed, hurt, or even going hungry, uh, we should respond very generously towards them and very aggressively to stop the human rights abuse. Plus, it is a is a security issue. You know, it's all, often been said, as Nigeria goes, so goes the rest of Africa. Uh, and this targeting of of, of jihadists uh, and the jihadis, you know, uh, Boko Haram and the Fulani uh, and others. Uh, and we see the same thing in other places throughout Africa, but especially now in Nigeria, uh, will lead to a destabilized state. It will lead to more war, not less, more displaced persons, uh, and you know the the use of the military um, as a dictator would use the military, uh, not for benign purposes, but for uh, imposing a certain point of view. So, uh, you know, we want a stable, prosperous Africa, Asia. Central America, United States, we want everywhere to prosper. This is the, the antithetical uh, to that hope and dream, because then you get more chaos and more bloodletting and more death. So that leads me to my next question, Congressman Smith. What can America do? What should America do? Well, I think we need to do even more uh, than we've done. Uh, the pre I mean, the president has called on Bahari, again, the president, to do more. Uh, but I think you know, we need to use the Magnitsky Act, uh, which uh, I was the House sponsor of, um, uh, which sanctions individuals with their making them unable to in, use U.S. banks and, and engage in any kind of economic uh, or commerce with the U.S. Uh, and also denies them a visa. Uh, it can have a very telling effect if, they're, if it's used uh, aggressively, and it's it's not really being used, frankly, with Nigeria. Uh, we need to get the 
I know a lot of people don't like the International Criminal Court, the ICC, uh, but they did look at Nigeria and issued a report, turn the page, what's next? And they did not, uh, maybe because of the time of when they did it, uh, you know, call for uh, crimes against humanity or, or for a prosecution uh, based on that. Um, you know, you always remember that in Sudan, and I've met with Bashir, who is now in hiding, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I met with him, and, you know, all he wanted to do was to end the sanctions and then to get himself off uh, the 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 um, indictee list uh, for the International Criminal Court because he was indicted for crimes against humanity. Uh, so um, it's important to have multiple ways of trying to hold these people to account. Uh, a legal action, I mean, in Yugoslavia, you know, the, the killers there never thought, including um, – uh, Slobodan Milosevic, uh, that he would ever be held to account. He died waiting trial, but he was in custody. And I think we, the more we push tribunals like that, um, even even in Sierra Leone, um, you know, Charles Taylor is serving 50 years. Uh, he's the former head of Liberia uh, for his incredible crimes against humanity. They were just, you know, they they cut off the, uh, people's arms and. And, 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 of course, raped and, and, and killed, um, and he got young people all hyped up to do his killing. Um, well, he's never thought he would be held for crimes against humanity, and it was, it was uh, David Crane's court, the hybrid court, uh, that was able to uh, get that prosecution and that conviction. So I think the rule of law needs to be used aggressively you know, with either local courts or with the ICC or, or some other uh, mechanism. Um, and we need to use our own Magnitsky Act, and I think we need to ratchet up the diplomatic pressure. I'm going to hold a hearing on the 17th of December, just a couple of weeks, on Nigeria, and the focus will be this genocide, the Fulani um, uh, um, gross deeds of terror that they have unleashed, um, and, and we will have the administration there as, and also a private panel with you know, individuals are still working on that um, to bear witness to this this almost ignored uh, genocide mm-hmm. that's happening as we talk. You and I, Tony, and I know you care about it. That's why you've asked me on because you're so committed to it as well to fighting it. Well, I know as you point as you pointed out, and I want to underscore this issue is that the reason we address these things now and everything you laid out there is is diplomatic, it's legal, and it's it is financial. We're not talking about military intervention, but if you leave these things to be on their own without addressing them, these atrocities, these human rights violations, this this uh, genocide. At some point in time, it, it requires more intervention, and that's when we it gets escalated. So it's better to address it now, exactly because right. this is this is huge. I mean, this is the largest uh, country in Africa, population wise. Uh, it, as you said, will destabilize not only Africa but even into Europe as people flee there. Uh, almost out of time, I, I got to ask you another question because this sure. I want to move to China, another issue that you have been on for many many years. But the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, which pr- Pass out of the House overwhelmingly, 406 to 3. Now you've got these major U.S. corporations like Coca-Cola, Nike, lobbying kind of either to water down the bill or against the bill. Does that surprise you? Not at all. You know, one of the greatest disappointments I've had in 40 years of promoting human rights and humanitarianism in Congress is that 
the profit margin uh, motive, and I'm all for profit. I'm a capitalist, uh, but the profit motive cannot trump human rights. And you know, it was the whole MFN issue, most favored nation status, that all of these bigwigs in in corporate America said, if you just trade more, they'll matriculate into a democracy, and that has absolutely not happened. I voted against it at the time um, uh, to delink. Uh, and it was Bill Clinton who shamelessly delinked human rights from trade on May 26, 1994. Um, it was an infamous day. Nobody remembers it, but I do. Um, and now we have a situation where you've got slave labor camps, um, the most horrific oppression imaginable by Xi Jinping against the Muslims um, in the Xinjiang region, uh, the Uyghurs as they're known, as you said. Um, and the bill which passed the House would make it a presumption that uh, we will accept no imports from that region uh, unless it can be proved that they are not being in whole or in part made by um, gulag or concentration camp labor. And um, why would anybody be against that? And yet yeah. they are. Um, you know, we, wanna, we know that we don't have access there. I want to go there. I want to do a, a site visit, and I – uh, you know, when COVID lifts, I'm going to make it all out attempt to do so. But well, let it, me know. I'll go with you. That would be great. I'd love it. But it's really a problem. And, and I'm it just is. disappointed in the extreme with, you know, the big wigs in corporate America saying, oh, you know, they should be on the front line of saying we want our workers' rights protected. Um, you know, human rights um, should be for everyone, including That's people right. in faraway factories. Got to leave it there. Congressman Chris Smith, thanks so much for joining us. As always, great to talk with you, my friend. Thank you so much, Tony. Thank you. And, folks, thank you for joining us as well. Join us again tonight, 8 p.m., prayvotestand.org. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do and you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.